What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman. And I'm Mason. And today we're actually running back one of uh, our top episodes. Uh, it's Nastia Lukin. We recorded it sometime last year, but she's a former uh, Olympic gymnast and just has an amazing story of growing up and the challenges that she went to getting to the Olympic Games, sort of being able to manifest that moment for herself in in the Games. And then the sort of ups and downs that a lot of athletes, especially Olympians, face after they're no longer competing. So a really good one. Uh, we're, we're replaying a couple of our best episodes during this this time as we head into the holidays and really, really hope you enjoy it. As always, uh, let us know what you think. And the first five people that email me with, with their thoughts or a five-star review will get a special gift, p at manhappy.com. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Nastia Lukin. One thing I'm wondering, um, I know you moved uh, to the U.S. at like a really early age. Uh, growing up, like, did you feel like an immigrant in any way? Like I moved to the U.S. when I was six from Italy. I mean, I definitely felt it because I couldn't speak English and like everyone around me could. But I'm wondering what your experience was. Yeah. So, I mean, very similar experience because um, when we moved, I was about two and a half years old and um, my parents were very young. Um, I'm the only child. And so they really moved to this country for an opportunity and an opportunity to, you know, start their own business. And um, they were both Olympic and world champion gymnast as well. And um, their dream was to open up a gymnastics school and coach their own athletes to becoming hopefully, you know, world and Olympic champions. They never obviously imagined it'd be their own daughter. Um, and, you know, this country gave them that opportunity. Uh, that being said, they spoke no English and, you know, whatever you can speak at age two, I guess. Yeah. Um, I spoke uh, in Russian. And so I started going to school here and we actually um, it's it's funny looking back. And, and obviously, I don't remember a lot of this that early, but they learned English by watching Sesame Street and Barney yeah. <laughs> with me. Um, I would just be watching it and they would pick up on it. And then when I started going to school, um, you know, I'd be bringing back like books and like homework and they were kind of doing it alongside with me to try to learn the language. But I think the biggest thing was, yeah, the language barrier. Um, you know, I think I tried and wanted to fit in like so hard and just be quote unquote normal, yeah. um, whatever normal really is, I guess at, at that age. And, um, I like really didn't want to speak anything but English to them. Yeah. And they were the complete opposite. They wanted me to like keep up. They knew that I was going to learn English very quickly, you know, as, as the younger you are, the easier it is obviously, but they wanted me to be able to, you know, keep up with the language and, now I'm like so lucky my grandparents live here. And so being able to still like speak to, I can't imagine not being able to talk to them and communicate with them. But I think that was the, probably the hardest part was like, I just wanted to be normal, yeah. you know, and I wanted to be like everyone else. And, and also lunches. I remember like my mom, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I didn't get the Lunchables, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, and I remember being like, mom, like this is like weird food, you know? And um, even though it wasn't weird, it was just like salads and soups and um, stuff. But yeah, she never really bought any of like the American, you know, like back then, like the traditional like lunches. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I had a very similar experience. Like I spoke Farsi and Italian when I moved here, but um, my parents 
none of us spoke English. And so like we only like me and my brother only wanted to talk uh, in English. And then like now I can speak Farsi, but I, I can't speak Italian anymore, unfortunately. But it, it, it's funny, like I felt like very like, you know, embarrassed in some ways, like the whole fitting in thing I could really relate with. I'm wondering, like, how did that like was it was it kind of like that tension of like, hey, like I want to, you know, I want to be normal. I want to go to school. I want to do like what everyone else is doing. And then at home, you're just trying to like show those ways. Of course. I mean, yeah, I I would think that um, or I guess I could say I'm I'm a little stubborn, <laughs> um, but maybe or maybe ambitious. I don't know, whatever. So it's like if I have something in my head, whether it was winning an Olympic gold medal or just like trying to make friends, um, you know, I, I went to public school up until about fifth grade. So, you know, I wasn't I was doing gymnastics. I was not training as many hours then, but I couldn't hang out after school. I couldn't, you know, on weekends, I still had training. So that alone was already like, okay, like, what do you mean you can't like do something after school? And I, you know, I had, I had to go to the gym and and not had to, like, I loved it. I was so happy to do so. But on top of that, then, you know, the language thing and, um, and even just like my name, like my full name is Anastasia and the, you know, typical short, um, for Anastasia is Nastia. And of course it's pronounced differently, um, in Russian, but, um, you know, I got made fun of like my entire childhood and even like to this day, it doesn't obviously bother me (laughs) anymore, but I remember, you know, being, being little and again, just trying to fit in and trying to make friends and you don't realize like, how much that can affect, you know, somebody. But yeah, I think that's why like gymnastics from such an early age, like I didn't feel like I had to fit in, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was like, as when I was in the gym or, you know, training, competing, whatever, I like, I felt like so like comfortable in that world, in that environment. And it felt like I was like truly myself. Yeah. Um, Whereas like in school and with friends, I was just constantly like, like really trying hard yeah. <laughs> to fit in and be like quote unquote normal. Yeah, it's amazing. I the name thing uh, definitely resonates with me. Like my name is Payman, and like that's not the way you say it in in Farsi. Um, and also just like it's so hard to spell, it's so hard to say, and like yeah. feeling that difference is like so like early on. It's like it hurts a lot more. And obviously, like I'm I'm used to it now, and I'm actually happy about it. You know, it's like I feel like it's a different name. So like if you know. You don't know that many payments. You probably don't know that many Nasia. So I think it's really cool. Right. Um, but it but it is funny. Uh, I'm wondering, like, growing up as an only child, and you said your parents, like, worked together. Like, what was that sort of dynamic? Like, I'm sure they worked super hard and, like, you know, like, they immigrated here for that opportunity. But, like, what was that mm-hmm. initial dynamic? And what do you remember from that time? Well, I remember specifically, and, and obviously the older that we all get, you know, the more... Um, or I guess not even older, because I, I truly feel like age is is just kind of a number. But I maybe the better way to describe it is like the more experienced we get going through different like obstacles and challenges that, you know, we do, whether it's in business or life or um, starting a company, a brand, whatever, you learn to appreciate so much more, you know, what at least for me, what my parents went through. I can't imagine like moving across the world, not speaking the language, having this dream goal, not having a sink. Like they didn't have a savings. They had nothing, you know, they just had this dream and they showed up to the bank with like, you know, like here we are. And they were like, 
okay, we can't give you a lot, you know, like yeah. it was just like they had, they had no idea. And so I think like my childhood was so happy. Like I don't, I didn't know any of these things until like late, way later on in life. And, you know, I was just so like being able to be in a gym with basically for me was a huge playground, mm, like, and it was yeah. free. Like I got to be in a huge playground that was quote unquote safe, you know, um, every single day. And my parents, I think felt bad because they couldn't afford a babysitter. And so I just had to kind of like, you know, tag along, but I was like, are you kidding? Like, this is so cool. Um, and I think that's truly when I kind of developed the passion and love for the sport. Um, my parents, on the other hand, saw that and they were like, oh God, because they really just didn't want me to do gymnastics only because they knew how hard the sport was. Yeah. was. And I mean, any sport, right? And I think, you know, no matter what you decide to do, um, for them, the most important thing was for me to find something that I loved and that I was passionate about, not something that they loved and that they were passionate about. Uh, and so my mom tried to get me to like play the piano and nothing against, you know, music yeah. or musicians or anything. It wasn't for me. Um, I cried every time I had to go and I just wanted to go back to the gym. And so, you know, I think having also like at a very young age, like a God-given talent, given like my two parents' genes, they were like, all right, well, we're not going to take that away from her. Yeah. But, you know, we're never like they never forced or pushed me to do the sport. It was always like I had to convince them so many like I remember asking my dad, like, Dad, please can we like go in the gym on Sunday and train? And like and he was like, No, you like need a day off. Yeah. And and I guess I'm wondering like once you decided like you wanted to do gymnastics, like did that change at all? Like I feel like your you know, your dad being a, a double gold medalist, your mom being a world yeah. champion, like like, I'm sure you looked up to them in that way of just like, wow, like mm -hmm. they did it, like I could do it too. Um, but like, how did that change as you started to grow and get more serious about it? Well, I think the best part of it was just everything was like, it all came like very natural. And by, by natural, I don't mean like easy necessarily. It just kind of felt like it was a progression. Yeah, like um, There was never really like the end goal or whatever, I guess, like winning a gold medal at the Olympics, that goal was not formulated or like even like in my mind for years, mm. um, you know, probably not until, gosh, I was like, I made the junior national team when I was 12 years old. And so I think at 12 years old, 16 girls made the national team and I got 15th place. And I thought literally I was like, I had, I acted as if I just won the Olympics. I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, okay, my dreams are coming true. And, and that's like one of my favorite moments because I remember seeing my dad across the arena and when they announced like the national team and you like walk up with like your first USA jacket and like, he was just ecstatic. And it was like, he was just as happy in that moment and maybe even more than like when I won the Olympics. Like, yeah. and so it was like, it wasn't ever about the, you know, the end goal. It was just about these, like my, like these milestone marks, I guess. And I think that's maybe why it never felt like I never felt pressure. Um, I never felt like I had to live up to their expectations. I thought that was cool. Yeah. You know, I thought it was so cool that my coach happens to be my dad who my dad happens to have also, you know, gone to the Olympics and, and won four Olympic medals. And, and I remember just thinking like, 
well, if he did it, you know, that, then, then I can do it. Like he knows me more than anybody could ever get to know me both as a, you know, as a human and also like obviously as an athlete. And so that the trust in um, the guidance that he had and he was able to give me, like I guarantee, um, I don't think I would have been even half as successful as I was um, with, with a different coach. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, it, it does seem like it flowed pretty naturally. Like, I think at some point, though, like you said, you made the junior national team, mm-hmm. like when it changes to like getting ready to try to make the Olympic team and then go to the Olympics. I feel like that's a whole nother level. Like, what was your life at that time? Like, was it very folk, basically like just gymnastics, like very little like friend stuff, things of that sort? Or I had no life. <laughs> um, and like, literally, I trained seven hours a day, six days a week. Um, Sunday was my only day off. And I loved every second of it. Yes. Was it challenging? Absolutely. But like anything in life, I mean, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. Um, And, you know, trying to work so hard for any goal, right? Like whether it's like starting a business or, you know, opening, opening, whatever it is that you're doing in life, like it's not easy. Like, I went to NYU after and like, that wasn't easy. Like, I remember (laughs) like crying on my way to like finals, like 8am calculus finals and just thinking like, what am I doing? I like, I had so much fear and anxiety and like, it was very strange, but I think like, I don't regret a single moment that I spent in the gym or away from what quote unquote normal was because when I was able to finally like step away from you know, trying so hard to be normal and what even is normal. You know, I think that's the problem that, uh, especially now with social media, you know, I think it's obviously a very love hate relationship with it, but I think it's like, we're constantly trying to be somebody else or what we think is, you know, the epitome of success or just normalcy or, you know, whatever that, whatever that thing kind of is in your head. And so I think like, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't go to sleepovers. Like I, not that my parents wouldn't let me, but I went once and quickly learned my lesson that I had the worst training the next day because of course you don't sleep. And, you know, and so I kind of very early on, like, I think 12, 13 years old, even maybe before that, I was like, you know, I have the rest of my life to have sleepovers, you know, with my girlfriends, to go to the mall, to go to movie, like whatever it is that I felt like I was, you know, possibly missing out on. And again, my parents really tried hard to like get me to have as much of a quote unquote normal life, like outside the gym as possible. But I was like, I was all in. And I just kind of knew like, you have the rest of your life to do this, you know, like you, you, gymnastics especially like it's unfortunately (laughs) it's not a sport you can do for the rest of your life (laughs) yeah i think um your point about how like nothing really worth doing or nothing that's like really truly fulfilling is easy uh i think that's a lesson that like many people learn later on and i think for me uh playing competitive basketball even in high school i think you you learn so much from like uh from that than like all of school combined and that's what i truly believe and so Um, I can only imagine what it was like for you. I wonder, though, like, did you feel like you were missing out? You know, you talked about, like, growing up um, feeling different. And then, like, obviously, like, I'm sure you assimilated pretty well because, like, you learned English. You were super young. Like, you don't have an accent, all of those things. Um, 
like I guess like did you feel was it clear to you or you were just like this is like my you know this is what I'm doing I feel so good about it I don't really care I really didn't care as like crazy as that sounds and I have a lot of like you know girls in high school like constantly asking me that like well what about prom like I went to my prom I was home by like 9 or 10 p.m because I had 8 a.m training the next day and and it's you know just like life it's it's all about the choices that you make right and and so I can feel that um you know I missed out and maybe maybe like to somebody they can look at my life and like kind of everything that I went through and think like okay but like where was your childhood but at the same time like I got to travel the whole world and represent my country like on the biggest stages in the entire universe at such a young age. So I got to experience things and places and like meet people that I would have never had the chance or the opportunity to do if it weren't for gymnastics. Uh, so again, I really think it's it's about perspective. You know, I think it's it's truly about like how like how how do you see it you know and for me like i think gymnastics obviously taught me so many valuable lessons and and again like one of the biggest things like you know success doesn't come easy it doesn't come overnight and um you know to be able to have coaches that are able to like guide you and push you when you need to be pushed but um you know at the end of the day like i always knew that you know, we, we had that same goal and that same dream. And so when you're able to kind of like be aligned with, you know, and comparing it now to like, you know, the, the culture of like your company or a business, it's, it's the same exact thing. You know, it's like when you have that same mission, it's so much easier to move forward together. For sure. Uh, I'm wondering, I feel like the Olympics, it's such a unique event uh, because it, there's so much build up for one moment in time. And most people only go to like one Olympic Games um i'm wondering like when it shifted to like oh like i want to make you know the u.s team mm-hmm. um i'm wondering like what was that like was that similar just like flowed and like you know you you just were doing your best and you and you made the team or like how did that happen and then eventually what led you to the games yeah i mean i think it was really my dad was just really big on taking it kind of like the one day at a time like mentality because you really can't look too far ahead because like, especially as you said, like the Olympics, you're lucky if you're able to go once. Um, and in a sport like gymnastics, especially, um, especially on the women's side, you know, it's, it's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity and experience because of, and it's changed a little bit now, but like typically you peak at like such a young age that four years later, your, you know, your body's changed, you're, you know, you're moving on with your life essentially. And so I think that was like the most important thing, like was truly to not think about the end goal, even though like, yes, it's nice to have that shiny object, like, you know, really high up on the mantle somewhere like that. You, It's like, it's attainable and it's achievable, but it's not something that's going to like literally like drive you crazy every single day, especially when it's the Olympics. Like when the Olympics are four years away, like you have to have other goals to get you through just like a random Tuesday of training. You know, it's like, okay, great. But I can't like fast forward time. So I have four years, like I'm, I'm in the gym on this Tuesday and it's pouring rain outside and I just want to be in my bed. And my biggest goal is four years away. Like why, like you like want to feel sorry for yourself at times. And, but that's why like, you can't, 
think like that. You know, it's like, it's good to have that big goal, but at the same time, it was like so important for me. And like, I even like try to translate this to normal life now and whatever it is that I'm doing, but you know, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly goals, um, as opposed to just like that long, long term goal, like those are great to have, but, uh, you have to have something that kind of like gets you up out of bed every day. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is about the process and not just like the end goal and like the the focus being on the day to day, like coming in and like, did you do what you wanted to do that day? Well, and that's why it's like so important to like, sorry, to to be passionate and to love what you do, you know, because not every day is going to be like exciting. And, you know, you, you have to like truly love the sport or love your job or whatever, because no one can no one can make you do it. You know, gymnastics, especially like nobody can truly make you go into the gym for seven hours a day and do like flips on a four inch wide balance beam. Like you have to want to do that. That desire has to come from within. For sure. And, and I've read that like, you know, manifesting like has played like a large role in your life. And, um, I'm wondering what role did it play in getting ready for, for the Olympics? And, and even till today, I mean, I always, um, have, have leaned to like, just putting out there what I want. I don't even do it in any formal way, but I, I do believe it's super powerful. So I'm, I'm wondering what uh, your experience has been. Yes, absolutely. Well, on my, like, I feel like I have, well, I have one here in my office, but the book, The Secret, um, it was, I remember it had kind of come out like right around that time, I guess. Um, Oprah still had her show on TV. And I remember the day before I had already graduated high school. So I had like a year in between, um, you know, the Olympics uh, and when I graduated, which was great because I could just focus on training. And I remember my mom, you know, it's kind of like when you're in school and you like have to read a book and you're just like, you don't want to read it or like you just like read the sentence over and over again. And a lot of time or when I was younger now, like obviously it's very different, but anytime my mom would try to like force a book upon me, like I was just like, I don't want to read it, you know, just like stubborn, like a stubborn teenager basically. And anyways, she was trying to get me to read the book, The Secret. And I kind of just kept brushing it off, brushing it off. And then one day in between my training sessions, I was home and and Oprah show was on and um, the whole entire show was about this book, The Secret. And I'm like, okay, shoot. Now, like if my mom told me to read it and Oprah, like, okay, I guess Oprah's right. Like I'm going to go drive to the bookstore. And I literally like paused it, drove to the bookstore, got the book, read it. Like I stayed up like way too late and Um, made a vision board uh, literally that night or the next morning and uh, basically just um, obviously like I'm sure you know but like it's it's for those that don't it's it's kind of about manifesting and and as you said like putting putting whatever it is that you want like out there Um, and the way that I explain it is just like it's it's like kind of black and white in my eye. So like I printed off like a picture of the Olympic gold medal. This was like a six months, maybe at this point before the Olympics Printed off like the gold, silver, bronze, like the Olympic committee, um, the Chinese Olympic committee had just released like what the designs would look like for the medals. So printed those off. Um, I had always wanted to go to Paris and I had never been. So like printed off the Eiffel tower and this one's a little materialistic, but I wanted this certain car. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what, whatever's going to motivate you. So I put that car on there. And the coolest thing was I put this board, I still have it. 
And I put this board um, in my room. The next day I got a letter from, and I'm determined to find this girl, but she had to have been five or six years old, wrote me like a little fan mail letter to the gym. And uh, I still have it. It was like stick figures with crayons and it was a podium of, it said 2008 Olympics at the top. And in for, it was first, second, third. In first place, she put like an arrow and there was a little stick figure with like yellow hair. So blonde hair, yeah. like pink leotard and like an arrow that said Nastia. And uh, I put that on the board. And then my mom saw it later that week in my room. And she went into the basement and like dug up my dad's Olympic gold medals. Wow. And she got one of his real medals and hung that on my board. So seeing kind of like, I had never really seen them. Like they, they're not like our medals aren't really like they're in a safe now. Like they're, it was never like displayed in our house. And I think honestly, I don't know if they did that on purpose or for a reason, but I think that's why I never felt the pressure. I never felt pressure to live up to their expectations or their accomplishments or, you know, whatever they achieved. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be just like them. And so when she hung that on my board, that's when it kind of all became like so real. Mm. It was, okay, here's a picture of one that I could possibly now win weeks away. You know, here's a little picture that this little girl drew me of me on the podium. And now here is a real Olympic gold medal. And so that moment that I like had there, like just manifesting it and visualizing it, it was kind of like I saw it in my head and I was like, okay, got it. Like now I don't really need to worry. I don't need to stress. Like now I just need to almost like go through the motions, like obviously easier said than done, yeah. but I truly, I don't know. Like I'm just like such a big believer in that. Um, and uh, I obviously couldn't take the whole board with me to Beijing, but I took a picture of it and it was like the background of my iPhone. <laughs> um, so I looked at it still every single day while I was there. Yeah, that, that's an amazing story, and you definitely have to find that girl. Um, but I, I think it's um, – we actually always talk about on this show, I think that sports, um, especially like live sports, it's like the most like intense uh, like mental health experience possible because there's so many people watching you. Even like with, with other talent, nothing's as live and as like make or yeah. break, like you know, someone missing a shot to lose a game or falling on the balance beams. Like – I'm wondering, like, leading up to the games and even at the games, did you feel that, like, different level of, like, oh, shit, like, this is, that like, my one moment and, like, one thing, you know, especially in gymnastics, I feel like that's probably the hardest one because it's so visible. Like, mistakes are so visible also, whereas, like, swimming, you know, you can't really tell. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, what your experience was with that. Yeah, you know, it's really <sighs> – Looking back at it, like now, and not that I like sit here and watch like my routines like very often, or sometimes someone will tag me in something and I see it and I'm like, how did I do that? And I don't even mean like the physical part of like, you know, doing my routines. Like, obviously, that took a lot of practice, but more so like the mental part. Because I always say, as physically demanding as a sport of gymnastics is, it's almost even more so mentally demanding and challenging than the physical aspect Mm. because of every little thing that has to go right in order for 
you know, you to win the Olympics. I mean, all the way down to, I won a a few years before the Olympics at the world championships. I won the silver medal in the all around by 0.001. And I'm like, that's not even like, there's nothing you could have done differently. Like that's like a pinky fingernail, you know, like it's like, it, there's no deduction even essentially it was a tie, but it's like every single thing has to go right. And then you just see the Olympic rings everywhere and you're reminded constantly like, okay, this is truly like, this is, this is it. This is my once in a moment, once in a lifetime opportunity, like don't mess up. (laughs) And you know, it's like everything that you're like taught not to think or say, like it's just being like flooded into your head and you're just like trying to constantly block that out. And so it's, it's truly like a mental challenge. And I think like I was so like focused and so present and that's the only way that I can explain like how I was able to, you know, perform under the amount of pressure, you know, that we all kind of felt and faced. And, And not only are you representing yourself and your coaches, but you're representing an entire nation and kind of the weight of the world and especially your country is on your shoulders and you don't want to disappoint like your. it's like it's crazy and yeah and and i'm curious like did you have like a way to like get into the zone like whether like before your routines and stuff or you were just focused the like entire time and it was just like tunnel vision in that way yeah i um was a big visualizer uh so i really tried um, my, when I was younger, my mom kind of tried to explain it as, you know, like a horse at, at a horse race with like blinders on. Um, you're just like trying to like stay in your lane, trying to stay focused and, you know, whether someone messes up, whether someone has the best routine of their lives and they get like a score that like, you know, like a is like, you can't be or whatever. The moment that I realized, like, don't compete against everybody else. Mm. Try to be the best version of yourself that you can be, because if you can be the best version of yourself that you can be, that's, that's good enough. And I think like when I finally, I mean, it took me years, like years and years because all I would being such a competitor, like, of course we all want to win. And so I constantly like be looking at the scoreboard and thinking, what do I need to do in order to like beat her or get a higher score or do better? And then that's what like I would consume my mind with and have, you know, mistakes because I wasn't focused on what I needed to do. Um, So I think the visualizing really helped, like, honestly, like closing my eyes or just, you know, turning kind of away and just going through every, like right before like a, a beam routine, for instance, like from start to finish, going through that routine, like every single movement, not just like the big skills, but every single pose, step, dance move, whatever, as perfect as possible. And then it's like, you just kind of like take it and you like copy paste. Yeah. And that was just kind of the way that I um, tried my best definitely to, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, compete the same way, like moments later. And, and obviously nerd, like there's so many factors, but I think if you can just like And I tell like little girls this all the time in the gym, like the second that you start thinking negative thoughts, Mm -hmm. like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, even if you're telling yourself, like, I don't want to fall, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to have your brain doesn't pick up on those little words. Like, I don't want to, all it can pick up on is fall, mess up, you know, bad, like, 
And so that's typically when mistakes happen. Sure. Um, so yeah, me the mental aspect of all sports and in life, but especially like gymnastics when you're on a four inch wide <laughs> beam trying to do difficult skills. Yeah, I mean, I think the words you tell yourself, like you said, are so important. I'm wondering, like, did you feel like if you didn't win the gold, like it was a failure? Because I feel like obviously making the Olympic team is so amazing, but people do come to the Olympics and they're like, I need a win or like, it, it, you know, it was nothing. So how are you like approaching that or trying to not think about it? So I think that honestly, I put so much pressure on myself that any other pressure that anyone tried to put on me or anything like was kind of, to be completely honest, like felt a little irrelevant because it was almost like, yeah, I know, like, I, I know you want us to win or I know you want to, you know, it's like, yeah, like we yeah, know. <laughs> and so I think like it, for me, it was truly just me trying to live up to my own expectations of myself because I knew what I was capable of. And yeah, I, I think like as crazy as that sounds, I think, but being like such a perfectionist, which yeah. obviously, you know, has its pros and cons, but I think in that moment, it was like nothing or nobody else mattered besides, you know, me and, and my dad who was on the competition floor with me. And, you know, we kind of just made this pact, like when it was like January, 2008, and it was like, okay, come end of August, no matter what happens, like, let's just like promise each other that we did absolutely everything that we possibly could in order to, to end of August, just be happy and proud. It doesn't like the ending Yes, of course. We we didn't really we never spoke about like what that end goal was. Yeah. It was just like an understood thing, obviously, mm -hmm. but we're both also very superstitious. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like we just we knew, like we knew what we wanted and he just was like, you know, if if you just do not even like the best routines of your entire life, but like do your normal, this is possible. And so even just hearing that like and then he calculated everything out and showed me on a piece of paper. Like I'm such a visual person. And so seeing that was kind of like, oh, okay, well, how many beam routines have I done over the last 18 years? Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's literally one more. Yeah. That's, that's all mm -hmm. out of like the thousands that you've probably done. It's one more. And so I think almost like breaking it down a little bit more, like that's, kind of what helped me because the second you, again the second you start getting into your head I mean that's when things just go downhill and what about like the moment after winning gold I feel like um well I'm just wondering what what was your experience where it's like so much lead up to one thing that's a really good question because I I still remember standing on the podium with a gold medal around my neck listening to the national anthem seeing the flag being raised and there were so many different emotions in that moment, in those few minutes that I was, I guess, on the podium. Seeing my dad once again, halfway across the arena. And for the first time in my life, I saw tears in his eyes. And like, when you see your dad cry, you're just kind of like, and especially my dad, he's like pretty stoic. And that, that immediately is kind of what got me emotional first. Uh, and then just kind of thinking back on like all the injuries and the obstacles and everything that we both had to overcome together and it had been exactly 20 years since he competed at the 88 games. 
and he got second in the all around by like a tenth of like it was like the slightest of margins and so you know he kind of he told me like that he lived with that you know obviously like four olympic medals two gold two silver that's amazing but like when you're that i always say like second place and fourth place are the two hardest because it's like when you're in second you're this close to winning and then when you're in fourth you're like so close to getting a medal and so in that moment i just remember feeling like I almost like I had done that for him too. And then immediately I kind of started like getting scared and I had this fear of what now Mm. I had just achieved my quote unquote lifelong dream at 18 years old. Yeah. And I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And I think like that moment was really scary. It wasn't even like, and I still had, three or four more days of competition. And so obviously I knew what I was doing like that next day, I still had training and I had to compete, but like that big question of like, I literally did not like 2009 did not exist in my head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it was just literally up until 2008. Like I was like, I don't even know, like, you know, at some point I'll go to school and, but I had no idea what life, you know, kind of was, was going to present it itself to me after the Olympics. And and it was scary. It was scary because I've always been such a planner down to the day, to the week, to the month, to the year, to the season, like every competition. And so that was the first time that I feel like I was so lost and confused all while standing on the podium with a gold medal around my neck in the happiest moment of my life. And, and and was it literally in that moment, like while standing there? Yeah. I literally like on the podium, yeah. like in my, like with a gold medal around my neck. And it wasn't just like the next day or like on the flight home, you know, from China, it was literally like such a range of emotions of like, I can't believe I did this. And like, also it doesn't feel real. You're just like, okay, let me wake up. You know, like (laughs) I've dreamed about this moment ever since, you know, for years basically. And every little girl dreams about it. And every little girl wants to, you know, literally be standing where I am. Like, then you start feeling like, what did I do to deserve this? Because like, you know, like obviously I train hard. Like there's just so many different thoughts and, and feelings. But I think that my biggest fear after the Olympics was kind of like, I didn't want to be defined by one moment. And by one moment that I did when I was 18 years old. And don't get me wrong, I'm proud of that moment. And I'm proud of that accomplishment. But that was my biggest fear was that I'm going to look back at my life and think like, you know, I guess I achieved this one quote unquote lifelong dream at 18, but what, what else did I do? Um, and I think I was like, my fear was not feeling, you know, fulfilled or, you know, feeling the sense of accomplish accomplishment after that moment. Yeah. And, and what was your path? I'm wondering, even just getting up to like current day of like finding what that would be. I know that you continued with gymnastics for, you know, for the next four years, but like, there's such a high in like winning a gold and like all the press and everything that comes with that. And then I'm sure like there's also a very low low of like what now, like you said. So what, how did that like transpire over like the next few years and then eventually to like when you went to school and, and all of that? So it was like quite a roller coaster the next four years. Um, I would say 
the biggest moment for me was exactly four years later um, at the Olympic trials. I actually tried to make my second Olympic team. And this time I was going in as like the reigning Olympic champion. So I had, you know, a lot more pressure, a lot more expectations and a lot more eyes basically um, on me. And on my very best event, which was uneven bars, um, I fell off the bar and landed flat on my face, like literally flat. Um, it's all over YouTube and it's like a gift, GIF, whatever. <laughs> People have been like, oh my God, I've seen that. I didn't realize that was you falling on your face. I'm like, yep, that was me. And I remember in that moment, once again, like feeling so confused, mm. embarrassed, mortified. Like I wanted to crawl underneath the podium. I wanted to like, literally, like I could, I could just feel 20,000 people in the arena, like staring at me, mm. millions watching back at home. And I knew in that moment that like my dreams of making a second Olympic team were completely over. So I remember my dad quickly, you know, first asking if I was okay and then saying the dad instinct just kicked in. He was like, you can be done. Like, let's just like walk, like be safe. Like, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter anymore, really. And I was like, you know what? No, because you always told me that no matter what you do, you always have to finish what you've started. And so I had 30 seconds to get back up on the bar and finish my routine. That didn't matter at all. And I got back up. I finished, landed on my feet on my dismount. And for the first time in my entire life and career, I had a standing ovation for the worst routine of my entire life and career. <laughs> and I remember first, like, kind, like I was so confused. Like, I, I, I looked around, like, the arena to look around, like, who else just went on a different event and is, like, well on their way to making this Olympic team? And no one was going. I was last in that rotation. And then I start, you know, I looked around the arena and, like, 20,000 people were standing on their feet. And... That was the moment that truly became the defining moment of my life and career. Because up until that moment, I let myself, you know, define who I was for an accomplishment and for one moment of winning the Olympics. Mm. And so I then, not because anybody taught me this, but I always believed that like people are only going to love me and support me and cheer me on if I'm the best, yeah. if I win a gold medal, if I get the highest score. And the moment that I had there in San Jose at the Olympic trials, I literally fell on my face, got back up, finished my routine. And that moment made me realize that we will never be defined by one moment yeah. and that people will still love us and support us even when we're not the best, even when we fall literally or figuratively on her faces. And it's about how do you pick yourself up? How do you keep going? How do you finish what you've started? And I think like that moment taught me so much more than winning the Olympics because winning the Olympics, like don't, again, don't get me wrong. I I'm forever proud of that. But what it taught me was that, you know, work hard, don't give up, um, you know, visualize, manifest, all those things. But I think it was the the moment that I had there four years later as the best yeah. in the world in that moment, like even the best fall, even the best can make mistakes. And I think like I always held myself to such a high standard in like perfectionism that I convinced myself that people were only going to love me if I was perfect. And so it it just like really helped me 
be able to close the that chapter, I guess, of my life. That was my last competition. And I moved to New York and went to NYU um, a few months later. And I was so afraid like before Olympic trials, because I knew I was, you know, heading to New York and I was, it was scary. I had no idea still like who I was, but I knew that I wasn't defined by either of those moments that, you know, I could just go to school and, and still like be proud of like just going to class that day, you know? And I think like these monumental moments that I was so fortunate and lucky to have at such an early age, it, it was incredible, but I think like it kind of, you know, it, it was really hard for me to, to finish every day and feel like a sense of accomplishment for a while because I wasn't exhausted after training for seven hours, you know, like I'd like come home after like a long day and I'd be like, okay, now what, yeah. like, what do I do? Like, I feel like I didn't do enough, you know? Yeah. So, and I feel like, um, in winning, I think the best experiences are like the downtimes in that. And so I feel like even for you, like you talking about how like it's probably like the most public way to like quote unquote fail you know like falling on your face like is is like a very visual representation of like failure i guess people would say is the time where you grew the most where it's like almost better that like that happened versus you like barely making the team or making the team and like not meddling or whatever like i think like that ended up being the best possible way to leave the sport a hundred percent and i think like you said it's, we don't learn, you know, yes, we learn from successes and, and all of that, but I, I truly believe like we learn the most about ourselves in life and like obstacles and quote unquote failures. I don't necessarily love calling it a failure because yeah, I think for sure. even in a failure or whatever, you, you're learning something. And if you're learning something, then how, how, how is that a failure? You know? And I think like my mom, literally when I was a young girl, she told me, you know, like the big, like between that, like the Olympic trials, and then I would come home some days for training, like it'd just be like exhausted, tired, wanting to quit. And she was like, that's fine. You can quit, but not today. And she would make me go back to the gym the next day and the next day and the next day until I just had one good day. And then, you know, because moms know us best, like she would say, okay, great. Now you can quit. Um, we'll enroll you back into public school, find something else that you want to do. And I would always say, I don't know what you're talking about. I never said I wanted to quit. (laughs) And so basically the moral of that story and that lesson is just like, we can never quit or give up on a bad day. Mm. And I think that that to me was like the golden piece of advice that not only like helped guide me to what I was able to do in the sport, but just even in life, you know, in friendships, relationships, business, like everything, like we're all going to have bad days. And so it's so important to not just throw your hands up in the air and say, I quit just because you have a bad day. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, Like a theme on the show is usually like people's like best moments, like publicly or like a very hard time privately, um, which you kind of shared that experience. And then also just like, the biggest growth and learning comes from like the lowest quote unquote times. I'm wondering like now, as you think about the rest of your life, obviously post Olympics, post gymnastics, like with the Olympics, like you, you, you end your first career so early. Like how have you tried to think about the rest of your life when it is on such a long horizon? Have you thought about it more and like compartmentalize like you did with gymnastics on like this phase, then this phase type of thing? Yeah, I feel like 
because I was such a planner, um, it's definitely taken me a long time, but I'm slowly starting to let go of that and starting to let go of, you know, the feeling of having to know and having to know what comes next. And, you know, I think because I was so used to like at the beginning of the year, getting our schedule for like the competition, training camps, like everything, like it was all planned for me. And I'm like, wait, like, where's my schedule, (laughs) you know? And I think like, there's certainly beauty on both sides. Like I think like having a schedule, like I love a good schedule. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, like, living in the moment and being present, I wasn't always, you know, able to do that growing up. Like I remember constantly, even when I was 12, I wanted to be 13 to be a teenager. And then I wanted to be 16, you know, and then you want to be like 18 to be an an adult. And like, I was constantly like trying to fast forward so many moments uh, for no reason other than just like excitement of like the next thing. And so I think just yeah, for the first time, like I'm very like content and not content in like a bad way, like content of just like being very present and normal and, you know, having goals and and having things that I want to do, but not trying to like, you know, sprint to the finish line, but truly trying to just like enjoy the the day to day and the grind and the good and the bad. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I, I learned in therapy is like you can be okay with like the person you are today and where you're at and still want to improve and do things to like continue to grow and that both are okay i used to always lean way more to like i just need to be better 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 um but it's it's okay to have both and i think uh that's sort of like the message i think in that absolutely yeah i love that i mean i think that's you know again like it's almost like the the being the satisfied part right but it's like it's okay it's like we're at the beginning i feel like you're kind of taught like don't ever like settle don't ever be satisfied and it's like no it's okay like we can be proud of ourselves and still want to you know do more achieve more be better and yeah yeah i'm i'm wondering random random question when you have kids would you let them uh do gymnastics if they wanted to a hundred percent um i would definitely i mean listen i think I think it's great as a, you know, as a kid, like it teaches you so many different things that are so useful for whatever it is that you decide to do, both like mentally and physically. Third generation would be, you know, a lot of pressure. (laughs) Um, But no, I think like if, if, if they want to do it, I would be in full support. Um, I don't think I could coach them. Um, I mean, if my dad's still coaching, then have at it but uh yeah i mean i think i think it's uh it's something that i don't regret and it's something that you know has really truly made me the person that i am today so whatever it is that they're passionate about yeah um and i know we have to wrap up in a few minutes i'm wondering like what is your message like to whether it's like new olympians first time uh olympians like now you know being getting through that experience i feel like even with the most recent olympics we saw so many examples of just like how much pressure there is in the moment and i I feel like it's been building more and more each year because of social media like what is that message now to 
to the younger generation? Well, I think like Simone, um, you know, what she did at the Olympics. I mean, she was she was like the most amazing example. Um, and I commend her for that. And um, I know that that wasn't easy, but, you know, doing what she did um, speaks volumes, uh, especially when you are the best in the world and um, you, you know, choose to take care of yourself and your mental health first um, over, you know, expectations or, you know, a medal count or any of those things. Like, I think it's so important. And, you know, I think that the way that or Naomi Osaka, I mean, there's so many athletes yeah. now that are, you know, that I, I truly, um, admire them for multiple reasons, obviously them as humans, then, you know, as athletes, but even more so just the way that they're setting, um, setting these examples that first of all, it's, it's okay to not be okay. Even at the Olympics, even when you're quote unquote, supposed to be, you know, at your best or in the best shape of your life or, uh, you know, whatever. And, and also like, kind of, as you were saying, what it's, it's, you're doing this for yourself, you know? So if, if your personal self is not okay and is not happy or is not, you know, in a good mental place, then then you shouldn't do it, you know, like, why, like, we don't need to necessarily have the whole world tell us like, it doesn't matter if like your men if your mental health is in a bad spot, you should do it anyways. Like, who is one to like, tell us those things when you know, they're not in our minds, and they're not living our day to day, and they don't know how we truly feel. So yeah, I commend, you know, all the athletes and, and especially Simone, um, for, for what she did, because she's setting like a, a great example for all the, not just gymnasts, not just athletes, but, you know, I think it, it became such a huge conversation and I think that that was necessary. Yeah. That's really, really good advice. Um, two questions we ask everyone, if you could nominate someone to come on the show that, you know, has an inspiring story, whether you know them or not, um, who would it be? Uh, one of my biggest mentors ever. And I was so lucky to have known him was Kobe. Mm. Um, you know, he obviously taught me so many valuable lessons and obviously he's, you know, not able to come on the show, but he, you know, has inspired me my entire life truly. And even more so the last few years of his and kind of, you know, what my inspiration and my motive is kind of like moving forward and the things that I want to do and, and achieve and accomplish. And um, so I, I would say he would obviously be the first that comes to mind. But I think, you know, I think Simone um, for me is someone I've known her since she was like 12 years old. And so to be such good friends with someone mm, yeah, and then be you know, working for NBC and commentating, you know, during such a challenging personal moment, like of her life. And like, that wasn't necessarily an easy task, but I commend her for, again, just kind of putting herself forward and, you know, putting everybody else's thoughts and opinions um, aside, because I think like that in itself is such a valuable lesson, you know, like, I learned a lot, even not being a competitive athlete, like stop worrying about what people are saying and thinking and like, like, how are you feeling? How, you know, like, listen, listen to yourself. And, um, yeah, so I guess I would say, I would say Simone. Yeah. Those are 
really good ones growing up in LA, of course, always looked up to Kobe and especially in the later years uh, and Simone, of course. Um, last question is, Nasia, what makes you mad happy? Oh, that's such, it's so funny because I literally have like my whole half my wardrobe basically is like mad happy. And so anytime <laughs> I wear like a hoodie or anything, people are like, what's mad happy? I'm like, what is mad happy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like, I like flip the question on them. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and I'd love to also ask you that, but I think for me, I've had like two, depending on like, my like my, my state i guess like mad happy for me in one state is kind of like you know so happy so passionate so driven like you're just like like just like fueling with like energy and buzzing and like all of that um and then the other side of it is like you know a little bit of the opposite and you're trying to like find that happiness and that passion and that fuel and like what is it that you um, you know, I mean, listen, we all like go through like, you know, moments where we lose, you know, our inspiration or something. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's for me, but I'd love to ask you. Those are great answers. And I think that's what I always say is like, there is no one definition of mad happy. And I think the reason people are so drawn to it is because they have their own like idea of what mad happy is and what it means. I think to me, it's like, uh, you can be optimistic despite those challenging times, like you said. And I think living a life of optimism, knowing that like you are going to go through really hard times too, uh, is like the mad happy way. And so I think that that's what I think about. Um, and you know, mad happy is just a really good word for life, uh, I think. And so try to live by that myself and everything we try to do here, hopefully like reinforces that a little bit, but that's my answer. Well, I think it, it, it does for sure. And, um, like love what you guys are doing, obviously huge fan and really cool to, you know, obviously success in, in all of that is great. Um, and you know, happy for you guys there, but I think even more so like seeing how much you guys emphasize and, um, you know, talk about, you know, the, the more important things in life than a lot of, a lot of people and brands, you know, do. You. So um, yeah. major props to you guys. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. I think it's like hard to talk about, you know, some of these like inner and personal things. And I think anyone talking about their story, even if it helps one person on a random day years from now is like so worth it. So really, really appreciate it. I know everyone's going to love this this episode. So, so thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Payman and Nastia and whatever you're doing or however you're listening, it always means a lot to us. And hopefully you're able to take at least one thing away that you could relate to or think about in your own life. And again, just really appreciate the support and happy Mental Health Awareness Month, everybody. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.